morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, dear listeners. Welcome back to Floaters. My name is Sophia, and I am the host of this here podcast. And I'm coming to you live from Studio Wardrobe. Now, guys, I'm going to get straight onto today's episode because this is a good one. I am chatting today with the absolutely charming Javier Navarro. A Barcelona native, London local, accomplished designer, lecturer, and illustrator. There's nothing, nothing this guy can't do,、um, other than actually look after plants, as it turns out. But you'll get to that part of the <laughs> the waffle later on in the conversation. We also talked about moving to cities with different creative energies and nurturing your identity, and the conversation just just flowed, just flowed. It was. Wonderful! I really enjoyed getting to know Javier during the course of this conversation, and I know that you will too. I started by asking him, "Where did you grow up?" So I was born, breathed, and raised in Barcelona, Spain. Okay. Which I guess that I mean most listeners already know because it's a really, really well-known and published city, very popular <laughs> among young people. And I was born and raised in the city center, and I lived there for thirty years. And then I moved to a small town, mostly, I mean, mainly because of work reasons. So I moved to a very small town in the north of Spain, which is very different from where I grew up. And、uh, I spent seven years there, and then I moved to London eight years ago, and that's my, my little journey. The external、mm. one, at least. I mean, there's more journeys to that. <laughs> And、uh, so, when you're in Barcelona, is that where you did most of your your studying as well? Yeah, yeah. Because the thing is that when you,、uh, unfortunately, when you have, you know, Barcelona is not such a big city, but you have everything you need. You have universities, schools, everything. So I never had the pretext to move to a different city to study, which I really was looking for, but it never happened. So I did everything there. And I need to mention because I don't know how aware you and the, or the audience are about the situation there, but you know that we have. Talking about identities, we have the Catalonia versus Spain, versus two different languages. So, in terms of identity, Barcelona and Catalonia, that area has a very strong identity.、Mm-hmm. There's a point of difference, and I've been surrounded by those arguments my whole mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not going to embrace any of the arguments right now, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very rich cultural, and also I've seen the evolution of it because it was a pre and post Olympics. So when I grew up, it was one city right up to the Olympics '92. It was like a totally different one. It put it put the city in the map in a way, and it changed a lot. And I could see that progress, and I benefit from it. I also suffer from it.、Uh, that's what I move at some point. Oh right. Oh, so、um, let's get into that then. So, what was the what was the reason why you you ended up moving? Was that to the north of Spain first? Yeah. The thing is that I'm a former fashion designer, which, to be honest, every time I say it now, is almost like I did porn when I was. Because I, I get it for the money, I was down and innocent. No, the thing is that I I was a fashion. I, I'm a former fashion designer. I worked in fashion for ten years, and then at some point I was a lecturer in design. And the thing is that、uh, I was lucky in a way that I was given a very high responsibility position in fashion when I was very young, and that was great because I was full of energy and ideas, and I could do it. And I was working for what you would consider the Paul's meat, the Spanish Paul's meat. So and I was、uh, responsible for the women's department. So it was a very, it was a, it was quite a responsibility for such a young person.、And、that was fantastic. But I realized that I'd be quite young. I mean, after that, there was nothing more there in the city. 
and uh, and also Barcelona has a really it's a it's a really has it's a creative city. It's got a really nice creative mindset, but the ecosystem is quite small. So if you go quickly in your career or you move around and you're curious, you almost swallow the city in eight years. Which <laughs> is what I did. And I don't want to be sound arrogant or cocky, it's a fantastic city, but I found that there were no more challenges either. And then I wanted to try something bigger in terms of a bigger company, bigger business. And then I started working for Zara for the homeworks department, which was a really, really young company, like a cluster inside the company at that time. And it was really great because it was almost like working for a, in a small studio with the backup of a huge, large structure. And that was amazing. There were only eight people when I moved there. And I was the only Spanish one. So. Oh, really? Wow, that's interesting. I mean, where yeah. were the other people from? So, Swedish. So, there was Sweden, China. I mean, yeah, China. There were also Italian people, French people, Dutch people. <laughs> and oh. it was wonderful. Yeah, so that was mostly... And that, it was really fun because the most of the of the meetings started in English and then quickly rolled into like a Dutch mix with French and Spanish and the people trying to speak Spanish because of me. I was like, no, you don't need to do that. So it was quite fun. To be yeah, around. that must have been great to be there at the conception of this new sort of strand of Zara, especially. And I mean, I love Zara Home as well. I think that's fantastic. That must be all down to you and your team as well for starting <laughs> that, like straight from the beginning. It was great because the thing is that like I said, I mean, you didn't, even though it was a, it was a huge company, it felt like a small studio because it was not so many of us. The hours were crazy. I mean, literally we were working like around the clock, mm -hmm. but there was lots of traveling and we started like working with new companies, new factories. I mean, it was the beginning of everything. And it was a very exciting time. And we were at that point when we were really committed and we were a bit obsessed, which is not so healthy, but we were talking about it in a spare time. We spent time together and we were really, really involved. Mm -hmm. Then as all companies do naturally, organically grew and then it becomes something bigger and I think that connection was a bit lost and that's what I decided to move move yeah. out from that from there. Yeah. it was really exciting times and I think I mean that is a pattern that is in my career I'm really good at starting things <laughs> and then when they're fully grown and they start they're gonna get bored when things start to to cut speed and they're in motion and the, the whole machine is greased and ready that is what I get a bit bored and, because I've repeated that a couple of times well I mean I think that's like a it's like an almost artistic mindset maybe it's like you're looking for the next challenge or you're looking for the next project whatever that might might be and that that's often actually something that comes up on the on this podcast in terms mm. of um in terms of moving or in terms of yeah finding a new challenge because there's like a almost an internal clock that you can't switch off that's like mm. okay i'm ready for something new let's go yeah yeah and there's a point i think that when you you have that gut feeling i mean you understand okay we already set this up and it's been a struggle and it's gonna it's becoming flat from here and repeated uh, and routine and I'm I get because I think that my, my mind gets really bored and then I start like I think the, the energy goes almost like inwards and then that is not a good place to be. So I need to keep <laughs> I need to keep moving and rolling because otherwise it's like oh. Yeah. And is that when when you decided to move to London after that? Actually what happened is that I, I quit the job and I left the company and right because it was a small town that I didn't quite like a lot. I mean, not to say something more gross. I didn't even like it because, and that is something I want to mention as part of my journey, maybe later. But the thing is that what I did, I stood there for uh, four more years, three more years after I left the company because I started my own studio. 
And what happened is that very organically, I started having uh, clients in London and I was coming quite often. And then at some point I thought, you know what? I don't like the city that much. I see much more opportunities here. I connect quickly with the city. I mean, I have that instant connection. So why don't follow that up? Mm. And then I didn't even come back uh, for my stuff. I mean, my partner did the movie for me. Mm. Oh, which wow. I still, which I still feel regrets from that. So I'm still <laughs> paying for that thing because it was moving at home, a studio, a dog. So it was a lot. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, so it basically was spending like three more years there working uh, as a freelancer and then following the path and following the, yeah, the little pedals that they were thrown on me. Like, mm. hey, you here. I mean, I'm curious to know, can you say what town you were in in Spain? The name is Coruña. Coruña. I've never heard yeah, of it. I know. It's a very small town and it's on top of Santiago. It's not farther up from Santiago. Oh, okay. Yeah, which more people know. And it's very, pretty much uh, below U the UK. So the weather is worse than, than the UK. If you're thinking <laughs> sun Spain, beach, that is not happening, beaches, etc. No. Uh, and it's a beautiful place, but it was, and the odd thing about it is that uh, the city was mostly like the, the area where I grew in Barcelona that I, I didn't like. I mean, when I, the fam my family lives in a neighborhood, in an area that is quite good and boring. And right when I was in Barcelona in my 20s, I moved from there and went downtown and had fun and enjoyed the city. But then oddly enough, when I, I, I moved from Barcelona, I ended up in a place that it was mostly like my parents' place. <laughs> like the whole town was my parents' place. And I felt invisible. It's like, Okay, I was running off from this from, that, from this thing, and I, I ended up exactly the same point. Mm. That's what I thought. I thought it was like. Hmm. I think it's f funny how that happens, but I, I guess in a way, uh, whether that's moving somewhere or whether it's like a friendship or a relationship, if if it's like familiar, if it reminds you of home, there's something mm. nice about that. But then also, like you said, you had that realization of like, oh shit, maybe this yeah, isn't yeah. <laughs> this isn't what I want. <laughs> Yeah, because you, you, in a way, you feel like, okay, unconsciously, probably, I think in the back of my mind or everybody's mind, when you do something like that, you feel like, okay, there's something more I need to learn here. I need to dig deeper. You run off from that family thing once, but maybe you had some, some business still going on there. And probably that's what happened. But at some point, you feel like, okay, this is familiar, which is good, but it's way too familiar. And there's a reason why I run from it. And I think I got my lesson learned because like okay never again <laughs> i was super happy oddly enough when i moved to i mean for seven years i live in that town and every time i was traveling a lot for work like a lot mm. almost like twice a, uh, a month i was like traveling and when every time when i was in the airport something thing when i back home i always say barcelona never said the city mm. seven years because in the back of my mind it was i never felt like home in a way so when mm. i said when we're back in barcelona people would say like we don't live in barcelona okay. yeah and i have some issue here that is a sign. Yeah. And instantly, when I moved to London, one week, I feel like home immediately. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it, London's one of those cities where, like, I think it's it's either, you it really is, you love it or you hate it. It's either for you mm. or it's not for you. And it's, it's great that you found that as soon mm -hmm. as you got here. I mean, so let's talk about that a bit more. So what was it like, like your first sort of year in London? Like, how did you, how well did you acclimatize? <laughs> I mean, it was a bloody roller coaster because I moved when I was 41 years old, which is, I think that a city like London, same as New York, like one of those big cities, they demand a lot of energy. But to be honest, I was so bored where I came from that I was really much ready for everything. I mean, the, for the first six months, I think that I signed up for literally everything that people put in front of me. 
And I never knew when I was signing for it. Like, do you, want, do you want to come to St. James? Like, I am in. I don't know if this is a pub. Is it a town, a river, a lake? I'm there. I'm going to be there. Just tell me, give me the coordinates. I will be there. So, uh, so it was kind of a roller coaster because it was quite, uh, because I have a partner and a dog and they stood there. So I was, I came here in advance because I already had like the jobs and work and income here. So I was the one leading. So they, I think my mission was to get a proper job, to get like uh, a home for us, etc. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a struggle, but loads, loads of fun. And uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought, I felt that instant collect- connection. I, it took me a while to understand the codes, especially the, the communication codes, meaning that when something is interesting, it doesn't mean that it's actually interesting. <laughs> Things like that, I could never quite got. But uh, it took me a while to get used to that. But uh, I, I must be one of the few Spaniards not complaining about the weather or food. <laughs> a, because I, I don't see the point. B, because I Googled it. I mean, I moved in 2013. I have been here many times and I knew where I was heading to and it's a choice. So I know, I don't complain about weather and food. I'm be, yeah, one of the few ones. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely thinking now to my Spanish friends living in London and like, that seems to be uh, one of the topics of conversation that comes up a lot. But why, why <laughs> guys, we knew it. I mean, that's fine. That's okay. I don't see the point. And we've been doing that. We've been, I've been eating that food for, for decades. I mean, yes, it's nice, but that's fine. And that it's, I can live without. I mean, and, and again, to me, priorities are at the top. I mean, I have different priorities. And I don't understand. I was a bit of, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to sound rude, but I was, I really wanted to meet English people or Londoners. I don't mind, but local people. I mean, I don't want to, if I live abroad, I don't want to constantly be surrounded by people from my own country. Being from, from the same place, being the only thing we have in common. Mm. Because that's something that people tend to do, and it's, I always think, okay, back in Spain, will we be, will we have anything in common? No, why here? So mm-hmm. I never, I never tried. I, I was not running from them, but never joined to those things. Like when I saw Spanish people, in the distance, I was like, no, not my vibe. Also, I already had friends here, so I have really mm. good friends, some English ones. So in a way, it was easier to. I rather mingle around with them than with them. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, whatever helps you, like, acclimatize and get used to a place. And already, if, if you already have British friends when you turn mm. up, I mean, why not? Uh, I guess some people might find the transition a li- little harder, which is probably why they might seek out people who have uh, things in common, like perhaps, yeah, their culture mm. or, or something along those lines. Um, but... I want to go back just a quick second as well. I wonder sure. what did your um, what did your partner think of like Coruña and like the move and everything? Were they ha- quite happy there, or were they happy to do the move as well? I mean, not, I I would say that we were. I was really unhappy, and my partner was mildly unhappy. So maybe it was I would say fifteen percent happier than me, which is not enough to pull me, pull us down there. Mm-hmm. So he was happy. I mean, and actually, I think that. He saw the opportunity. To be honest, he's doing great. I mean, he's doing even better than me here. And uh, he works, he's a motion graphic designer. So there's plenty of job here for work for him. But also the, the fact that uh, he likes changes. And actually we were thinking, considering, because for the last year there's been time for a lot of reflection. Chances are that we were considering moving again. And we were thinking, where, where shall we move? Where shall we go? And he's very excited about new places. We are both ex- very excited about moving. And we like, 
that challenge, that, that, that newness, the fact that you need to discover a city, reconnect, find mm -hmm. the right spots, understand the timings, the language, and all those things. I think that especially when you are growing older, I think that keeping that busy brain is good for you. I mean, I, and I think that we both have like that commonality. Mm. I mean, there's always that, that uh, especially because we spend like six months apart, and uh, there's always that uncertainty, like, will we make it? I mean, when will we have our own home? How are we going to manage the situation? But in general, he was positive about it, yeah. She still is. Yeah, well, that's great as well that you're both doing so well. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and I wonder then, like, when you're thinking about the future, have you already got like a list of places in in mind, or um, are you sort of is it still just like your blue sky thinking? I mean, the thing is that I need for my in my line of work, and that's one of the reasons I moved to London. In the first place, I need a place with innovation, with a culture and innovation and creativity, and I I understood talking to other people from all over the world who moved to London, that is a huge difference when you move. What is the purpose? What is the reason behind you moving? In, for what I've seen in my experience, people moving strictly for money, they struggle more than people moving for different reasons. Meaning that, of course, I move here because there's better opportunities, but it's mostly because of the creative vibe and the electricity that you feel about people sometimes, most of the time struggling, but we share that struggle. And that struggle keeps people like alive and pumping and Going for the next thing i think that people moving only to improve their material life mm. in a way they find this, that the struggle is not worth it so in our case what we're thinking is like we need somewhere that i need somewhere that there's innovation there and that there's an innovative bone and people have a, have a creativity and they appreciate the, the, the how the creatives mind works and there's a structure that responds to that it's a container for that creativity Mm -hmm. So we're thinking Amsterdam because maybe most of the startups are like uh, moving there and we don't know. I mean, Amsterdam will be a good one. Definitely Europe. And uh, because the thing is, I think that when you're born in a Mediterranean country, in the back of your mind, you always know that you're going back. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I feel that I will retire there and there will be enough time for sandwich, etc. So I'm not, I'm not one of those people that are crazy to go to and live in Hawaii. Mm. Or oh, I need an island. I need somewhere. It's like I will, I'm thinking in the in the near future. That might happen in the future for me already. It's in my cards in a way. Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't feel like I want somewhere like with a specific surrounding or nature or anything like that. The drive for me right now is work, but also creativity and finding my tribe of people being created somewhere else. Mm, yeah, I suppose that's a, that's a really good way of thinking about it, actually, because, yeah, you'll find your, you know, your retirement, your happy place, like it's it's already there at the end. Mm. Um, so why not lap up all the other cultures and experiences you can while you still can? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I wonder, are your, like, your family uh, are back in Barcelona, are they, um, are they quite, have they, any of them moved out to Barcelona or are they all still there? No, that's the thing. And, and, and that's, they live in the same building. Right. Which for me, it's like crazy. <laughs> I mean, they live in the same building, separate flats, but they live very close. And they're not even close because my family like is a, is a very complicated, not complicated, but it's quite an exotic one. And uh, and they don't get, we don't get even that much that along together, but they seem to be sticking and mm. and they seem to want to be together. I don't quite understand that. And mm. uh, and I'm the only one who has moved. Funnily enough, my I have a 21-year-old 
uh, nephew, and he really he doesn't want to live there. He's moving again. He wants to move. Uh, I think he's following on my path. Mm. And uh, I would say that that is part of my identity, and that's what in, in part what I thought that what I thought might be relevant because geographically I think I'm very boring. I just live in Barcelona, in a small town in the north of Spain, and London. I mean that is not big there. But I was raised raised a Catholic in a very traditional family uh, with uh, two different separate languages coexisting, and I've been. I mean, what my not my struggle, but the whole fight has been always about finding my identity. And the way I'm living now, compared to the expectations and the starting point, it's like nothing to do. Mm. It's like, wow, it's miles apart, eons, universes apart. And I thought that, and I'm still like, in a way, I mean, I think that when you are very different from, from the contents where the contents where you grew up and your, your family and your values, in a way, it's always there. I mean, it's, it was always like a daily, not a fight, but you need to, re it's a reaffirmation. Every day you need to find a new way to, make sense of the whole thing because it's an explorer part mm. you never know what, what is going to be there you know exactly what's going to happen in that track you're creating your own track while experimenting it's mm. quite it's quite stimulating <laughs> to put it that way so would it be fair to say that you're like out of your generation and your family would you be the the black sheep of the family in a way but almost i would say that i think that probably they will they will share they will say that i'm the black sheep I, I would say I'm the invisible shape because what happens is that you become invisible because they don't understand anything about you. Mm. And I'm not bitter about it. I mean, I, I, I'm not like, I don't have uh, any kind of a sense of revenge or angerness mm. about it. I understood. I mean, there's a, there's a distance in what you can share, what you can talk about. And uh, when you see other people relating to the family easier, in a way, I kind of envy that. But uh, it's invisibility. I mean, most to this day, they don't quite understand what is my line of work. My dad was a mathematician, an engineer. They're very mm -hmm. factual. They're very, okay, this is that, this is that. I and mean, they already want to know where the boxes, the blocks, and the tags are. Mm. And I'm, in a way, I'm all over the place. So, Yeah, I mean, I kind of understand that. I mean, because uh, in a way, my... So my mother is the only one out of her family who moved out of Germany and all of them are sort of still in the same town and the same, almost the same streets where my mum grew up and went to school. And, um, and I think, yeah, they still to this day, it's the same thing. They still can't quite understand, you know, why she moved and um, what it is that perhaps we do is like the grandchildren as well. Um, and all my cousins and things they do uh, very sort of administration sort of things or they work as engineers as well um so it's it's there is a slight divide but I'm, i mean the cousins and i were slightly bridging the gap now um but uh it is an odd thing when you try and talk to people about your experiences and they don't you can kind of see it in their eyes can't you that they're not quite understanding what it is you're telling them i mean with your work now as well where you as a child, were there sort of inklings as to what sort of work you'd be getting into? Like, or were you, I don't know, did you think, did your parents think you'd follow in your father's footsteps, for example? I think in the back of their minds, they always wanted to. Mm. But I think it was very clear since early stages because I was drawing like a maniac since I was like two years old, three years old. And I was constantly drawing, drawing, drawing and very attracted to anything that was visual and designed. So I think that they, in the back of their mind, they knew it. The only thing that the only advice was like whatever you do, do something that is practical in a way. Not practical, but build something that is consistent. Mm -hmm. So build something that probably we don't understand. We don't know what is it about, but 
something that makes sense to you and is very sturdy. I mean, it's a consistent, sturdy structure that you can rely on and mm -hmm. makes sense to you. And that was the only piece of advice. I think there was no judgment. I mean, I had to explain a lot. Like when I went to go to fashion, it was like, well, but why? What? I mean, no, that is not math. That is not structure. I mean, what are you doing? That what? What's waiting for you after that? I mean, what is what is the next thing? So, so in a way, there was no pressure, but I have to explain a lot. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the thing. I mean, that's when when you're trying to. This is, you have a double job because when you have a different identity from your uh, from your family or your your education, etc. What you need to do in a way is to to pretend that you're very bold and you know what you're doing, <laughs> but also ask people like, please, I, I really want to do that. I'm confident that this is going to be great. But at the same time, you cannot be that confident because it's an explore even for you. So mm. it's mostly like guessing, hit and miss, exploring, being very open and asking people surrounding you to be very open. Mm. And that puts like a lot of pressure on you as well. I'm not playing my violin because I, I also enjoy that process. I mean, I'm not victimizing myself, but it's a, it's a tricky one. And, mm. I, and I think my worry, and I've been a lecturer for, for a long time, is that, and, and I see that in, in other kids studying, is that when you don't find a container or a place where you can share your identity and nurture it and make it grow, mm. you tend to dim that voice because it's easier. I mean, you want to feed, you want to be popular, you want an easier life, you want maybe a more comfortable time. I mean, you want a more comfortable way to spend your time. Mm. And then people tend to dim the light and then they forget they have a voice. And I find that the most horrifying thing, and I think that schools, families, parents, teachers, everyone should be supporting young people in at least finding their own voice, whatever that voice it is, mm -hmm. but not dimming the whole thing. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, I think this podcast is a way of me doing that, actually, because I've never really spoken to many people who'd sort of experienced the same things or um, have totally different experiences. But it's one its one way of just sort of connecting, um, because I've mentioned on the podcast before, I've um, for a long time, I didn't speak to my friends about my sort of experiences living abroad or having parents from different cultural backgrounds or any of that. I just sort of switched on, you know, I'm now German, Sophia, who goes to Germany to visit my family or like uh, I'm now I'm now the daughter of a, a, Span a granddaughter of a Spanish woman and I've got to be like this and eat all the food and now I've got to be you know so I'd, I'd sort of divide it all but it's nice to know that now you can like once you find your tribe as you say um, you can sort of fuse it all together and I think it's important creatively as well um, to find those people to exchange ideas with and and um, create work from I mean when you were growing up and and you were trying to figure out what it is you wanted to do and trying to explain it to your parents. Would you, would it be fair to say that that was your first experience of a kind of culture clash maybe? Uh, I think it was way before that because I, I, I think that if we're talking about culture in, in terms of a uh, construction, I didn't feel it as a cultural clash because I was born and bred in that culture. So in a way mm -hmm. that culture was natural for me. Mm -hmm. So, if anything, I feel like I was the, the oddity. I was the exception. Okay. I was the alien there. So, in that sense, I didn't feel that it was a, a cultural clash. Cultural clash, I, I experienced as a grown-up somewhere else. But I, I find that that kind of, um, of clashing with my family, education and values, it's something that I start doing since I was a kid. Mm. And not in a very aggressive way. I'm not playing the rebel cool kid. I mean, it was not like that. 
it was more like understanding by observation that, okay, you know what? I don't think that this is a good fit for me. I don't think this is the way I'm going to live. This is, I don't think this is the kind of life I want for me. And I recall, I come from a religious family. And uh, I recall that we were going to an Easter parade that happened in the city center uh, overnight. So it was more like 8 p.m., 10 p.m. And it was the early 80s, something like that. And Barcelona was a lot of fun in that area at night. So I remember being like seven years old and seeing people going out, going out at night because we were, it was a mix of religious people doing the parade with the people going out drunk, probably high, etc. And I recall I was, it was, I was really little, but I, looking at those people saying like, hey, that is not my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not promoting the use of drugs and alcohol at all. But I felt that there was a, there was a really enhancing sense of fun and hedonism that I was driven to already as a kid. And I feel like, okay, I, I presume that in a good time, this will be my pick. Yeah. So, so I, and for instance, when I, I was living in Barcelona, and it's not such an international city, it, maybe more so now, but not when I grew up, but most of my good friends and friends for life, they're not from Barcelona. They're, most of them are from abroad. They're foreigners, American people, English people. So in a way, I think that unconsciously you attract those people, and then you prevent yourself from having that cultural classical that clashes with the values that you've been internalized and you feel so natural to you. Mm-hmm. So in a way, that was a cultural clash, but not the massive one. Because mm-hmm. I knew they were too natural. Like, I just tried to understood how much of an alien it was in the middle of all the system. Mm, yeah. And I so, question, yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. I feel like I did like the, lo- the longest round about to get there, but yeah. <laughs> no, I encourage a ramble on this podcast. Give, give me more. Give me more, I say. <laughs> don't provoke me. You don't want to provoke me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so when was your, your um, in terms of, so we've talked about values and those, those sort of clashing, uh, but what about then uh, cultural-wise, um, or culture-wise rather, um, when was that sort of, that clash apparent to you? Was it when you moved to the UK, for example, or was it, or was it even when you moved to the small town in the north of Spain? <laughs> well, actually, the small town was a clash for different reasons because I felt like, okay, I know, already know that and I don't know what I, I mean, I know what I moved here and it was purely a professional thing. But, I mean, the clash was not a positive one in the sense that, again, like I said before, too familiar. It's like, okay, that's not the clash that I was looking for. <laughs> but I would say that the, the, the place that I felt like a strong cultural clash and a really, really exciting one is India, which I know is commonplace. I mean, it's not super exotic. But the thing is that I travel because of work like a lot for the last 15 years, very frequently. And work, traveling for work in a way gives you like a non-touristic side of the country or the places that you visit. And in a way you cannot say, I know the place, but in a way you see daily life as well. Very focused on working. And in my case was, was factories and meals, etc. But it gives you an understanding of daily life, so I didn't visit so much of the touristic areas. And uh, and the first time I got there, I understood that that there was it was a truly cultural clash because it was my whole the whole value system is upside down from yours. And I'm not talking about sunset spirituality and that thing. I mean, not that side of India. I'm thinking of daily life and the logic that they apply, which comes from a totally different place. And and you can see that the whole system is way older than you are existed way way before that you were there and to be honest doesn't give a fuck of who you are <laughs> <laughs> and that is so powerful because i've been in in um, in that side of the world before but the first time i went to india i've been in japan as well and i've been in places that they were like odd and strange 
But India is the one, but it's the logic that because it's very, the logic is very well constructed, it's very entwined and the values and, and it's so, so compact. It's like a block in front of you that says, you know, you know what, I'm here, I've been here for centuries before you were even in the world and I'm gonna operate, we're gonna operate that way forever. Mm. And that to me was like, well, yeah, that, <laughs> that sounds incredible. I mean, so did you end up going there quite often uh, for work or yeah, was yeah, that yeah. just? Yeah, oh, very, okay. very, very often because we, and I love working with India uh, because they love the craft. I mean, it's, they're amazing. There's amazing, amazing craftsmanship there. And uh, people are super nice, but they really love what they do. And, uh, and yeah, I was going quite frequently, like for almost like monthly, every two, every two months I was there. And then you spend like two days, a couple of weeks, and you travel. You have to like local flights, and then visit different factories. And I never, I mean, I never saw Thai labor or anything like that because I would never work in under those ethics. Mm. But you see things on daily life, even like walking around, that are really, really shocking. And I'm not, I don't, really, I don't want to sound like a colonizer, patronizing person. Like people are poor, people are dirty. This is how, no, it's not in that way. Quite the opposite. I mean, you feel the the strength of the logic. And I, I can give you an example which is just a random one, but it might be a stupid one, but I recall that there was a factory that we used to work a lot. So you get a relation with them, you know them, you talk about a lot. And that it was run by, by a young girl that she was really, really clever, super smart, that she started in the States. So she had both of the Indian, yeah, she was Indian of course, but she had that, that like American touch. So she was a good, she was good at channeling both energies. She was really good, really clever, really great at her job. And uh, after maybe four or five years that we were, we met, that she told me, well, no, I'm going to get married in a couple of months. I said, like, oh, fantastic. That's because I know this is a big event, it's a huge event in India. And uh, I just said, yeah, I'm going to quit. And I was surprised because I thought, okay, you build this amazing career. You're super smart. You're you invested so much time studying, studying about the airport. You invested all that time and energy. And then, uh, and then now you're going to stop working. I mean, I, I mean, if that makes you happy, of course. I was taken, but I, I think I find it strange. I said, well, actually, all that I, all, all those studies and all my professional career, I build up to get a better husband, mm. which opens a totally different conversation that we're going to, we're going to have here now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that, that was one example when it's like, okay, there's nothing I can see here because that is your logic. Mm. I mean, that makes sense to you. It's your, your value system. I need to respect that. I feel like I should respect that because and she was very, she was very, uh, I mean, it was not an arranged marriage because I asked her, I was curious and we, we I know her enough. So mm -hmm. there's that thing when you, you feel, in India, you feel like you go, you go with all the questions and the answers and then you realize you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and they dismantle the thing. It, it all collapses down in front of you. Quickly. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's how it, I mean, that sounds like a, a really I mean, interesting conversation to have with someone there as, as well as, you know, amazing opportunity to, to lap up the culture in that way. And mm. as you say, seeing the day to day of um, just life there. And mm. um, I wonder, like over the past year or so, how has it been for you not being able to travel for work? Uh, it's been a struggle. I mean, in a way, I'm relieved. It was, it was a relief because traveling at some point I mean, and especially for work, is is very repetitive. It's quite like a systematic. And I and, I, and lately, right before the pandemic, I was already worried about the impact, the environmental, environmental, the impact in the environment of so much travel and so much flights. I mean, I was already worried. 
about that. So in a way, I think it, that makes way more sense traveling way less. Mm-hmm. But I still think that you need, in terms of, of the quality of work, you need a lot of like not being in contact with people. Mm-hmm. Like being the fact, I love being in the factories, talking to people, doing things together, building up together, together whatever product collection we're working on. So yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a struggle. In a way, it's a relief. On a, in another side of it, I mean, it's like okay, it was a lot. Mm. It's good that we're not doing that 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 massive waste of time and money for everyone. And uh, yeah, I think that I, I'm curious to see how we're going to handle that in the future. Yeah, because I imagine it must. So it's it's impacted your work in a sort of collaborative way um so would you would it be fair to say that your it's yeah it's impacted your process your creative process um this past year i think that's not so much for me because i i've been doing it for so much for such a long time that i in a way even i mean maybe now maybe in a, in, if we go like that for four or five more years that will be i will be starting losing memory of how factories were but now I still can handle it in a way that it's not been that that much time compared mm. to almost 15 years going there. It's only been a year. I'm happy that I had the experience to build us to have those building blocks of experience with them. So now I can pull those threads. Still, I'm still working. Mm. But um, but yeah, I think that it impact is an impact on the process. And I would say that it's most mostly about the the exchange of ideas that mm-hmm. you can do. Because I think there's something really interesting of working remotely, but everything becomes dimensional, the screen, there's a little window surrounded by other windows. There's something positive in my opinion, which is that all the hierarchy has been broken. So you're mm-hmm. not, because you don't know who's the manager who is, and we all like the same side of wind, same size windows in the same screen. Mm-hmm. And that is good. But on the other hand, I think that I miss like touching materials and uh, having the contact with people and having a close, that is part of the process. Mm-hmm. And also because there's also, there's no room for serendipity. Because when you enter a, a new group of people, there's always like room for, okay, what might, there's unexpected things that are coming on. Mm. Why not? Now, not anymore. I mean, because everything is uh, programmed from my side and it should be programmed from their side so in a way that's. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that in a, in a sense because um, I've got a, a theatre background. And very often when you're rehearsing, it helps to be in the same room. Um, And a lot of your ideas, um, and I'm sure in other creative um, processes, uh, come from just the mundane conversations that you have in the room, whether that's on the lunch break or after your rehearsal or after your meeting. And that's lost because now when you call someone, you call them for a purpose and it has to be for a purpose and i'm finding this with my, with my friends as well i i saw i saw some friends in 3d recently as well and um it was nice to just talk about all sorts of stuff and it wasn't you know how are you doing are you staying safe are you wearing a mask it wasn't like <laughs> just the tick uh, the checklist it was it was actually nice to just talk about all sorts of things um yeah. but i uh, and i can't wait like like yourself to be in the same room as people and be able to get these things off the ground in a, in a different yeah. way in the more most organic way yeah and i totally agree with you because for me, the for me the magic is in the in the coffee breaks that's where the magic happens in most of the of the creative process but also what I what I realize is that either you have a very like you said like a super narrow um, prospect on the meeting. I mean, I need to talk to you about that, and then we schedule a meeting, and then we have it. But then with the, on the other on the other side of the spectrum, there's meetings with people that you don't know that well, 
And if it's a, it's a big group, then when you start talking, very quickly things roll down into therapy. Especially with during the first lockdown, it was like, okay, this guy that I, people that I've seen a couple of times, and now we have a meeting, and very quickly people are crying, which is fine. I mean, I'm all for sharing feelings, mm. but there's, I feel like there's that, that polarity. Either it's like super formal, Mm-hmm. Or then you go to the things like, okay, I don't know you that much. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, that is a lot of sharing. <laughs> like, which I'm, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Mediterranean, I'm fine with that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I've seen both of them. And I think that that is something you can modulate easier in person because then you can read people, you can read the room, you mm-hmm. break in smaller groups, and then you can have like smaller conversations. Then you can understand better, you navigate it differently. Mm-hmm. But in that screen, by dimensional thing, is quite. Uh, it's, it's taking time to adapt to that. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, especially in a professional capacity. It must be must be really weird. I mean, I've done a few, I did a couple of read-throughs of plays online, but again, it's not the same. It's like you can't see the body language. You can't see, you know, everyone's reaction to each other. It just, it doesn't happen the same way, but we'll I see. I can only imagine the struggle <laughs> because it depends so much. I mean, especially in your line of work, it depends so much on people's energy. Mm-hmm. Almost in every job, especially yours. I mean, yours is like getting yeah. all the, the energy from there. Yeah, I mean, because at the moment, this is a bit of a tangent on my end, but at the moment, Absolutely. I'm in, I, I'm in a bit of a weird position where I've got a space at a, at a theatre festival and I've got some dates being offered to me. But the thing is, I don't have space to rehearse. I, the actors, I need to make sure everything's COVID friendly. And also uh, the actors have never met because I've only ever done it online. So it, it's making me quite anxious actually to think about what it's going to be like. I'm also excited, but it's it's mm. definitely changing the dynamic in terms of that process. Um, but I'm sure it's the same for other other creative um, yeah. fields as well. The thing is, I, I'm one thing that I did when I moved in London because I needed to just in order to meet other people, I join a community, a community choir. So I sing in a choir, which is not an invitation, it's more of like a warning because I'm not such a great singer. <laughs> Hence that I'm, work, I'm singing with other people, so it's not so much possible. But what I, what we found is like, because choirs is like the, the thing that probably is going to open the last because you're so close, the breaths, I mean, you're very, it's a very compact space. So long story short, we've done some rehearsals online and Zoom is absolutely no friendly with with uh, lots of voices singing at the same time. So let's put it like that, we, we sound extremely contemporary. It's like, I feel like, wow, this sounds like avant-garde. We, go, we get in there. <laughs> like, it's like a sound installation for the Tate Modern almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we've done because funnily enough, it was, we've, we've done things in, with Tate Modern, with, uh, with Barbican. So we've done, it's not like, it's not like church choir or mm. we do Christmas carols because people like them, but that's the only thing that we do that is more traditional. So it's like different we do pop, 90s pop crafts or using all sorts. But now this is one step further. I mean, there's the technicality of it. I mean, I imagine that it, you need to explore that as well, how we can mm. connect with people through all these machine wires. Then. Yeah, I mean, but I can imagine with the <laughs> with singings through Zoom, with everyone's different connections as well, like the sound must come through at different times and, d- and all different overlap, pitches. They overlap and then... For instance, Zoom hates uh, basses, which is the bass that I have. I have a very low voice. Zoom hates us for whatever reason. We never, we're never on time. We're never there. And it's like, okay. And also, I cannot read scores, so I tend to lean on other people. All these people singing, mm-hmm. not anymore. So, 
<laughs> well, I mean, hopefully you guys could meet in person at some some point soon, and 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 you'll be you'll be perfect by that because you'll be rehearsing <laughs> your own your own melodies, and then you'll come all together, and it'll just be you know perfect. It's going to be pure magic. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about what you're up to now. What projects have you got on the go? And and also, did you mention you're a lecturer somewhere? Uh, yeah. Well, I think not now. I've been a lecturer in fashion years ago. Uh, and that was back in Barcelona, so not now. And what I'm doing now is I'm trying to shift. I do mostly like uh, design research and design strategy. So I'm not so much focused on product anymore. So I try to help companies in find and create their own ranges and their own products from a strategic, I give the overview of the main direction and then jumping to the next. And what I'm trying to do now is um, is do more like graphic recording, digital visualization, etc., which is kind of a new-ish organic discipline that it, in a way what it does is like try to help people visualize ideas. Mm-hmm. And that ranges from small groups to a project to complex systems uh, to super abstract uh, ideas to just campaigns. So it's, uh, it's just putting drawings and sketchings and illustration to the service of communication. And uh, I have taken the time that I have out of my regular job uh, during lockdown to build on that. And I have almost teach myself as many, it's because it's quite a new and organic field and I'm trying to make sense of it on my own. So I think that I haven't baked bread, which I'm very, I'm very proud of. I don't bake bread like everybody does. So I have focused on doing something different. Well, that's good. That's good. I mean, there's far too many banana br- bread makers out there right now. So, you Thank know, we, you. <laughs> at least you've, you've taught yourself a new skill. That's important. Yeah. A one that you can use in work. And one that hopefully doesn't cost like one pound. I mean, something I can make more money <laughs> than even my banana bread. Also, I'm a terrible <laughs> baker. Also, I'm terrible with plants. I have been uh, taking care of a friend's flat. And I, I realized, just realized that I've been watering a plastic plant for a year. <laughs> Oh no! Oh dear! Now that is—I mean, well, at least you've been—you've been caring for it in, in some way, I suppose, in, in your own special way. Thank you for that. I mean, that was—that's a bit uh, patronizing, but I totally deserve it. <laughs> also, I told my friend, and she was like, "What? The one in the corner? Of course, it's plastic." And I was like, "It's so clear to me. Not so clear to me." Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't matter because you've also, you've got a dog as well. You're very, well, obviously very good at looking after pets and that's more important, you know, in, in some ways. <laughs> that one I know. And just to be, to, be, to be clear, the dogs, I think all pets, they're living their best life during, during this, this uh, pandemic. Oh my Mine God, is, absolutely. Do you have any pets? Yeah, I've got, I've got two dogs and we actually got a puppy before the pandemic started, like a month before. So uh, yeah, he doesn't know life without people in the house. <laughs> Perfect timing. I mean, our dog, she's been with us for more than 10 years and she, she's she been looking every, she looks at us like, okay, this is what I meant all the time. This is mm-hmm. what I meant. This is the life that we should be living since day one, all together at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> Well, I bet I bet she's been loving it. She's been absolutely loving it. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, just life. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I wonder, actually, I'll round off our conversation today by asking if there's anything at all that you'd like to plug or promote. Actually, well, I, I mean, if anyone's curious about uh, what I do and uh, for everything I've shared, and especially my last practice, which is a bit abstract even for me, I have to confess, 
Are you curious? You can visit, I mean, my Instagram account, which is Javier Navarro Arbe. I'm going to spell it because it's a lot of J and R, so I understand. It's J-A-V-I-E-R-N-A-V-A-R-R-O-A-R-B-E. Somewhere in Instagram, someone will find it, and that's fine. It's been a total pleasure in spending time with you, and I hope that it was informative, at least for someone. You heard the man. Go check out his Instagram. Go check out his practice, see the kind of work he does now. I've also popped a link in the description for his website, so you can go check that out too. And um, while we're plugging things, I also wanted to plug a cheeky project of mine. Uh, another creative endeavour, you, you might say. I'm going to the Brighton Fringe this year, which is in in Brighton, in the south of the UK. And it's a theatre festival and I'm going with my new play, my new show, and it's called Lady Baby Shrooms. It's a 45-minute play. If you're in the area or if you fancy a trip uh, down to the south coast of the UK, wherever you are, obviously everyone stay COVID safe. Um, but uh, come see the show. It's only for two nights, uh, June the 14th and uh, June the 15th, I think at 6.20 in the evening. So listen, you finish work, get on the train, get in the car, just come down to the seaside, take in a show and then uh, maybe make an, make an evening out of it. Go get some dinner, have a drink. You know, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And come say hi afterwards. But please, uh, if you're able, uh, get yourself a ticket to Lady Baby Shrooms, written by me. Now, um, on to the usual, usual business. Please remember to like, rate, review, comment and subscribe. And wherever you listen, make sure to give this podcast five stars please and if you want to keep up to date with all things floaters give us a follow on instagram at floaters underscore podcast oh well there's nothing left to say guys other than thanks once again to javier for chatting with me what a gent what an absolute gent thank you to adora for your help with graphics and aral for your sound help and thank you to you dear listener it's been a joy i love you all Until next time. Bye-bye.